Book 21 Then did the goddess, bright-eyed Athena, put into the mind of noble Icario's daughter Penelope, thoughtful and prudent, now to set up for the suitors the bow and the silver-gray iron, there in Odysseus' halls, as a contest starting the slaughter. So she descended the steep high stairway, down from her quarters, when in her large strong hand she had taken the beautiful brazen, well-curved key of the door, on which was an ivory handle. She set forth with her women attendants to go to the inmost storeroom. It was in there that her lord's possessions were lying, treasures of bronze and of gold and of iron, laborious metal. Therein also were lying a back-springing bow and a quiver, holder of shafts, in which there were many maleficent arrows, gifts given him by a friend who in Lacedaemon had met him, Iphitos, Eurytos, Sion, a man who was like the immortals. These two men in Messene already had met one another, while in the house of Sagacious Ortilicus. There had Odysseus gone in pursuit of a debt which all of the people had owed him, for out of Ithaca men of Messene had stolen and borne off sheep three hundred and shepherds in galleys of numerous orlocks. It was for them that Odysseus had gone a long way on his mission, while still a boy, for his father and others, the elders, had sent him. Iphitos came there searching for horses, the twelve of his females which he had lost, at their tits young mule colts, patient in labor. They were the ones which later would be for him death and disaster when he came to the dwelling of Zeus' son, powerful-hearted Heracles, who was a man well-practiced in monstrous actions. He in his own house murdered the man, though a guest and a stranger. Cruel, he neither respected the god's oversight nor the table which he himself set near him, and afterward, when he had killed him, he kept hold of the mares with the powerful hooves in his palace. Seeking them, Iphitos met with Odysseus and gave him the bow which in times past great Eurytos carried, and which he had later left to his son at the time he died in his high-built palace. Him had Odysseus given a sharp sword then and a strong spear. It was the start of a firm close friendship, but never at table they entertained each other. Before that, Zeus' son murdered Iphitos, Eurytos' scion, a man who was like the immortals, him who had given the bow. But afterward, noble Odysseus, when to the war he went on the dark-hued galleys, would never take it along, but he left it to lie in his halls, a reminder there of a well-loved friend, and he carried it when in his country. Finally then, when the splendor of women arrived at the chamber, she went over the threshold carved out of wood that a workman once had skillfully planed, made straight by stretching a chalk line, fitting the doorposts and putting upon them shimmering door leaves. Straightway then from the hook she quickly unfastened the bolt strap, then inserted the key, and the bar of the door struck upward, pushing it out of the latch, and the doors groaned loud as a bull which feeds on the grass of a meadow, so loud did the beautiful doors now sound when struck by the key. Then quickly were they spread open. She stepped up on the high-raised platform. There were the coffers standing, and inside these sweet-scented apparel was lying. Reaching from where she stood, she lifted the bow from its hanger, taking the bow-case too, a resplendent one that enclosed it. There on the spot she sat, 
Then putting it down on her knees, she plaintively, stridently wailed while taking the bow of her lord out. But then, when she had taken her comfort in tearful lamenting, she set forth to the hall to go join the illustrious suitors, holding in hand that bow, back-springing, as well as the quiver, holder of shafts, in which there were many maleficent arrows. Handmaids carried a basket for her, in which there was iron lying aplenty, and bronze, all prizes acquired by the master. When she had come down there to the suitors, the splendor of women stood by the pillar supporting the roof beams, stoutly constructed, holding in front of her cheeks as a veil her shimmering headscarf. Standing with her there, one at each side, were the virtuous handmaids. Straightway then to the suitors she spoke. These words she addressed them. Listen to me now, valorous suitors, who always are vexing this house, using it up, incessantly eating and drinking, while my husband is absent a long time, nor is there any other account you are able to make in the way of a pretext, only that you are desiring to marry me, take me as bedmate. But come, suitors, and act, since this is a prize that appears now, for as a test I will set the great bow of the godlike Odysseus. He who is nimblest at bending the bow with his hands to the bowstring, then through all twelve axes is able to shoot the one arrow, him I will follow as spouse, so leaving behind me the house where I was a bride, so lovely, so full of the goods of existence. I feel sure I will always remember it, even when dreaming. So she spoke, and she bade Eumaeus, the excellent swineherd, now to set up for the suitors, the bow and the silver-gray iron. Then, as he wept, Eumaeus received them, setting them down there. Also the oxherd wailed, as he looked on the bow of his master. Then Antinous jeered and said these words, calling upon them. Childish yokels who think of no more than the day that is passing. Miserable men, why now do you pour out tears, and the woman's heart in her breast, why stir to commotion? Enough as it is, her heart lies low in affliction, because she has lost her dear husband. But now sit there in silence, devouring your dinner, or else go out of the house and lament, while leaving the bow in its place to be a decisive test for the suitors, for I do not think this well-polished bow can at all be easily bent to the bowstring. For among all these men in the house there is certainly no man such as Odysseus was. I saw him myself with my own eyes. Well, I remember the time, though I was a boy and still childish. So he spoke, but the heart in his breast yet hoped for success in bending the bow to the bowstring and shooting a shaft through the iron. But in fact it was he who would first be tasting an arrow out of the hands of the faultless Odysseus, the man he was slighting now as he sat in the palace and stirred up all of the comrades. Thus did the sacred strength of Telemachus speak and address them. O oh, Zeus, scion of Cronos, has made me utterly witless. It is my own dear mother who says, although she is prudent, that some other man she will now follow, forsaking this palace. Yet in the witlessness of my heart I laugh and am happy. But come, suitors, and act, since this is a prize that appears now. No such woman as she now exists in the land of Achaea, neither in sacred Pylos, nor Argos, nor yet in Mycenae, 
neither in Ithaca Island itself, nor upon the dark mainland. This you yourselves know well. What need have I praising my mother? But come, do not evade it with pretexts, nor turn away from stringing the bow any longer, that we may observe what happens. Yes, even I myself might make an attempt at the bow now. Should I manage to string it and shoot my shaft through the iron, then I would not be pained if the lady my mother should leave me here in the palace to go with another, as I would be left here able to win already my father's beautiful prizes. He spoke, then from his shoulders he took his mantle of purple as he jumped up, and his sharp sword also he took from his shoulders. Then to begin he stood up the axes, for all of them digging one long trench through the hall, and he made it straight with a chalk line, tamping the earth around them, and amazement seized all, observing how he stood them in order, for never before had he seen it. He stepped onto the threshold and stood there trying the bow out. Thrice he caused it to quiver as he kept straining to bend it. Thrice he slackened his strength. In his heart he ever was hopeful that he could fasten the bowstring and shoot his shaft through the iron. Pulling it now with his strength for the fourth time, he would have strung it, but that Odysseus nodded and stopped him, though he was eager. Then did the sacred strength of Telemachus speak and address them. Oh, what shame! I will turn out surely a coward and weakling, else I am still too young and cannot yet trust to my hands for keeping away any man when he first starts doing me outrage. But come, you who in strength are in fact more able than I am, make an attempt at the bow now, and let us accomplish the contest. So did he say, then putting the bow from himself on the ground he leaned it against the two wings of the door, well planed and close fitted. There also on the beautiful handle he leaned the swift arrow. Then he again sat down on the armchair whence he had risen.